this process can be a lot of just, it can feel like you're just buying stuff. And it's saying like, we're not just buying stuff anymore. We're making something. Hi, I'm Caitlin Peterson, the editor-in-chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. On every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about nurturing creativity, finding their firm's financial footing, setting goals, and discovering their own version of success as a result. My guest today is a designer who left the world of commercial interiors behind to get into residential work. I wanted to talk to her because she has such a unique approach to finding her ideal clients and to weaving a narrative about the project through every step of the design process. I can't wait to share it with you, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Universal Furniture, which is debuting the re-inspired curated collection at High Point Market this spring, and in full color, no less. From bright teals to deep purples, this furniture promises to light up any room. Plus, Universal's 115,000-square-foot showroom experience also has recent introductions like Miranda Kerr Home, Coastal Living Outdoor, and Modern Farmhouse to explore. While you're there, visit the Designer's Lounge, presented by Rue Magazine, for hair touch-ups at the Beauty Bar, designated designer-only workspaces, and special events. Sign up online at universalfurniture.com slash market events, and visit the showroom June 4th through 9th at 101 South Hamilton Street. This podcast is also sponsored by Curry & Company, producer of beautiful residential and contract lighting, in-stock case goods and upholstery, and a broad range of statement-making accessories. An Atlanta-based and family-owned brand, Curry is committed to being a designer's best friend, something the second-generation company achieves through constant investment in authentic design, superior customer service, fast shipping, and by staying in stock. Curry's collections include partnerships with Bunny Williams, Sasha Bykoff, Barry Goralnik, Aviva Stanhoff, Marjorie Skouris, and more, as well as countless pieces from its own in-house design team. Visit Curry's trade-only showrooms in High Point, Atlanta, Dallas, Las Vegas, and New York to experience the broad range of designs, each meticulously handcrafted by artisans around the world. Or visit curryandcompany.com to shop the entire line, request a catalog, and tour the virtual showroom. Well, I always loved making things. In my teenage years, we lived pretty rurally, uh, and so there wasn't a lot of art classes and things like that. So, you know, I always had to get kind of creative. In high school, I went to my guidance counselor and I said, I want to be a jewelry designer. And I wanted to go to the Savannah College of Art and Design and learn jewelry design. And he was like, you know, I don't think that very many people are very successful <laughs> at that career. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, what can I do that's creative? And, you know, I was like, I, I like interior design. And he was like, yeah, you know, not many people make it in the interior design world either. And I was like, well, that's enough of that. Like, I gotta, I gotta go. So that's Victoria Sass. Fortunately, she didn't listen to that high school guidance counselor, and she went on to study interior design. She got a job right after college at an architecture firm that designed massive commercial projects like casinos and shopping compounds. Victoria kept going in the contract world, freelancing for years on projects around Minneapolis. But it was always just a job. She never truly loved the work. 
then something happened. But when I had my second child, my daughter, like a switch just flipped and I was like, holy crap, I have to do this maybe 40 more years. Like I just need to think about, about my career. And I had a lot of long talks with my husband about being a good role model for my daughter. I'm like, you know, I don't want to be working so much and pouring so much into work and not being around for family. And he's like, there's nothing. I still remember, it makes me want to kind of get a little teary when I think about how supportive he is, but he was like, there's nothing more, um, there's nothing better that you can give our daughter than a, a good role model, like showing her that you can be a good mother and take care of yourself. All that kind of came together. I started Prospect Refuge Studio with this sort of intention that I was only going to do the things that felt really right for me. You know, it's work. It's not like every step of the way is enjoyable, but I can honestly say that since I started Prospect Refuge Studio, I can probably count on one hand the number of days that I was like, ugh, I don't want to go to work today, um, which that's the goal. That's the goal. I wanted to talk to Victoria about the changes she made at her firm to make sure she was reaching the clients she wanted to reach and how she finds, as she puts it, her people. You started the firm five years ago, right? Yep. Yeah. 2015. When you started it, what did it look like to you? Was it still just going to be you or did you have a real growth plan from the get-go? It it, it kind of took a couple zigzags. Um, <laughs> it actually, when it very first started, it was sort of a hobby business with a friend mm-hmm. of mine. Uh, we were making pottery and it sort of blended. And I was just, so I was still doing freelance and, you know, trying to figure out this thing that I was working through of like, I want to be a little more creative and and be a little bit more um, in control of the things I'm putting out into the world. And so I was like, maybe I just need a creative outlet. Maybe I just need to throw some pottery <laughs> and realize that wasn't for me. It, you know, I like throwing pottery and that's a great hobby, but it wasn't a business mm-hmm. you know, uh, for me. And so kind of started to do design work under the, you know, umbrella, the name of Prospect Refuge Studio, residential design work. So it mm-hmm. was uh, different than the commercial tenant improvement work that I was doing. One thing led to another and I ended up taking over the business myself completely and kind of reshaped it to be a residential. For a while we did residential and commercial. I did like a mm-hmm. uh, yeah, number of projects commercially, but we've sort of stepped away from that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's taken some, some zigzags. <laughs> I, we've grown really slowly. You know, I've just mm-hmm. sort of like added an employee or a role at a time through the years. I think we're at six now, including me. So it's, it's still pretty boutique, I guess. That pivot into the residential space, what, what was different or what felt different about making that change? Boy, (laughs) (laughs) logistically, I was really um, floored at how different the industries were. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought naively looking back that like, oh, you know, I I have a lot of friends and colleagues and contacts in the design industry. I know the city, contractors, all kinds of things. And then switching to design, there was almost no crossover. It's <laughs> completely different channels of marketing, completely different contractors. And it's just every every single piece of it is different. So it, it really was like learning a, a whole, and all the products and materials, you know, there's mm-hmm. a whole nother world to the residential side. Yeah, I don't, I think something about residential, there's a lot of, when I was in school, 
school, it was very much geared towards commercial work, Mm -hmm. probably much like my guidance counselor, because that's the most like stable track for like income. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You can get health insurance right out of school and you can have a 401k and, and that's all really smart. But I never had that you know, even though I was doing commercial work. So I felt like, (laughs) well, I'm not no loss on my end to just Mm -hmm. try it. Um, I was always really scared. There was a lot of design colleagues that, you know, kind of tell tales of like, oh, I tried a residential project once. And it was, you know, it's really hard to work with homeowners or husbands and wives or, you know, partners and families. It was really, I felt like I was really nervous about that. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, what if I can't deal with the like, intimate aspects of working with people in their homes. Um, but then I did it. I really love it. And mm-hmm. I actually felt like I always loved the storytelling piece of commercial work, like restaurants and retail. They really have strong narrative perspectives. And that was really cool. Um, and to try to find ways to carry that through on the residential side. And, you know, you just get to know people so deeply um, I also always loved like anthropology and things like that, where <laughs> the study of like human behavior and why we do the things we do. And that's why Prospect Refuge, uh, that's why the, the name of our studio is based on, um, that's my favorite design theory. That was like the moment in college when I realized design is, is, is huge, um, mm-hmm. and can shape our feelings and our behaviors, um, and so anyways, I think it's really fascinating to think about how we can apply that to our private lives as well as our mm-hmm. public spaces. You, know, you had the firm for a few years, and then you started to get really intentional about who your ideal clients are. What prompted that? Was that a conscious effort? Or was it something that happened kind of naturally? Oh, definitely, definitely <laughs> conscious. Um, <laughs> You know, as you, much like realizing that the work, you know, commercial work or this freelancing wasn't, didn't feel like I was driving the bus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you kind of, I kind of came to a realization at some point in my resident, you know, now at Prospect Refuge, a couple years in, I was like, I don't think I'm, I'm really driving the bus on the projects that I'm taking either. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of saying yes to, you know, you send me an email at the right time and I have an opening and... (laughs) You know, now we're working together. Yeah, we're, you know, you know, you're a nice person and we work together, whatever, um, which was good. But then, um, you know, we really, especially I think bringing on employees was mm-hmm. a big thing uh, that maybe it just like kicked in the mother in me too, where I was like, you know, I have people who are relying on me now for a steady paycheck and, um, you know, stability and uh, growth opportunities, you know, both in their like creative world and their career as well. And so thinking about, okay, you know, maybe we don't want to grow people wise, you know, maybe I don't want to have 30 employees. I don't never say never someday, maybe, but <laughs> right now, you know, I like being small, but like, we do want to grow in terms of like the breadth and depth that we mm-hmm. can work on projects. So, you know, we need, we start to identify the things that we need uh, to produce the kind of work that we want, you know, Mm -hmm. making sure that we're doing our, our due diligence with our clients and helping them 
educate them as to, you know, what is going to produce the results that they see in our portfolio budget wise, time wise, you know, commitment wise from them in terms of meetings and, you know, involvement, <laughs> uh, all those is things. Is that something and, you use to weed people out? It's like you don't have the, the, you know, interest in like partnering with us on this? Yeah. I mean, we, I love to be full service. Um, but Gosh, there was a really great comment on Instagram. I'm going to reuse it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Forgive me, the sweet person out there who said it. <laughs> but they were like, being a good client is hard work. And I was like, it is hard work. Like, it's not, you know, thoughtful. It's important to, you know, learn when to trust and to, you know, show up when you need to show up and make decisions when you need to make decisions and like be participatory when you need to be participatory. So we are looking for people who are kind of the, the, the right amount of involvement. What was the process to sort of say, you know, this is what works this is what doesn't work for us. We want to go all in on, you know, this kind of business that we're getting. It's It's been incremental, I think. Um, so you can't do that all at once, can you? It always feels like we're stepping off a cliff every time we make a change <laughs> in our process. It always feels like, oh, like I don't, I really like, um, I don't think I'm a control freak, but I like the stability and I like mm -hmm. guiding our clients in a way where like, I know where we're going, don't worry. Mm -hmm. um, so we do kind of just, make small changes as we go along. Um, but it always feels to me like we're making a huge change. Uh, what were some of those? Little procedural things, you know, something I'd done early on um, was always give a budget up front, mm -hmm. really detailed budget. It's easier with furnishing packages than it is with the construction side of things because we're mm -hmm. in control of uh, furnishing design and execution and all that. But so that was like one thing that really helped us kind of educate people early on and get on the same page. Um, you know, having we're constantly trying to like lock down schedules and timelines for people. Mm -hmm. I really like to meet deadlines. Uh, maybe that comes from the doing commercial work for so long. <laughs> Sometimes I miss those deadlines where it's like, well, the restaurant is opening on this day. So. <laughs> It's done on that day. Uh, you know, I, I like setting deadlines and then mm -hmm. being like, okay, we're done. Um, it, it's, it's like a thousand tiny little, little changes that have happened. Well, one of the things that's interesting to me is that you, you kind of honed in on, I know you have the, the phrase old homes, young families, and that you maybe kind of inched your way towards only taking those kind of projects as well. It's interesting now because we're, we're almost reverse engineering that in some okay. projects we're taking, we did for a long time, we did a lot of almost exclusively old homes, young families. We live in Minneapolis. There's a really great, there's really great neighborhoods full of homes from the turn of the century and they've been loved and a lot of families are moving. And there are a lot of like single family homes with little, little yards and they're really <laughs> great um, for young families and, and beyond. Uh, but yeah, so now, you know, we're doing a, more and more new builds as well. I think people are really looking for that soul and character in new builds. Mm -hmm. And because we've done so many old homes, I do think we have a better understanding of why they are attractive mm -hmm. to our clients that, you know, they're like, Oh, I'd love to live in an old home, but I really need to be in this neighborhood or, you know, there just isn't an old home for what I need. And so how do we kind of, yeah, reverse engineer that into making a new home feel 
Okay, I have this new thing that I haven't, Kate is going to kill me for talking about it because (laughs) (laughs) it's something that like I, you know, I've been processing and I'm not sure if it's totally developed yet, but it's this idea of timefulness instead of timelessness. Okay. When people come to me and they're like, I want to, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. Maybe. No, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I think for so long we've just heard this drum being beaten by designers of like, I want a timeless kitchen. I want a timeless home. I want my, you know, I want my furniture to feel timeless. And to me, I don't know. There was something that always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way about that. Maybe it's like the absence of time that felt (laughs) like, why do we want to- But you're not rooted in anything then. Yeah. You're just completely like eliminating the, you know, time as a factor in your life. Like that's not, A, it's not possible. And I think that's why people get so disappointed when they buy something quote unquote timeless and it's not because (laughs) that's not how time works. You can't just remove it from existence. And, and there's also so much beauty in the passing of time. And so trying to like speak to those people out there who see, who will hear me say this and go, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. like I I want to like attract those people that when we hang out for an hour, we both geek out over the same things. Um, so yeah, so we've been really like pursuing this concept of timefulness. And mm-hmm. when I walk into some of our most successful projects years later, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't feel dated because it wasn't rooted in any time, like referenced so many times, or it was just so completely itself mm-hmm. that it, it wasn't even like thinking about being timeless. It was just like, I just want to tell this story so completely. And it has nothing to do with what era we live in. Everything is going to speak to the time it was created. And that can be really beautiful. And if you just look at that as, you know, you work with that and not against it, I think it's a better end result. Anyways, that's my, <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Something I'm trying to process and like really yeah. hone in on, but um well, I, I want to go back. Oh, go ahead. I was, no, like, I was gonna say old homes, young families. That was something like you're always just trying to like really quickly and efficiently connect with the people with your people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's was, what I wanted. To, that's what I wanted to ask you about was where did that come from, and can you t- kind of tell me the origin story of landing on that and how you got there? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was really um, just kind of like an editing process of, you know, when when people are like, what kind of work do you do? And just continuing to try to like, edit it and edit it and edit it and edit it down until it became How long do you have, right? Yeah, right? Um, You know, it started out, oh, we do a little of this, we do a little of that. And the first time I said it, I was like, that, that's it. That's what, Mm -hmm. and and the person that I was talking to, like, immediately got it. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this is great. If, if I say that to you and you get it, you're my people. Mm-hmm. There's so many designers out there. And I, I will say this to people who maybe I tell them what we do and they're just like, you can feel when it's a disconnect and mm-hmm. you're like, I'm not for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. There is somebody out there for you and no, you're not going to offend me. I want you to find that person because when you do, it's going to be a really great project for you and you're going to be happy with the end result and you're going to enjoy the process. But having taken on, oh, I took a client once who was a really had a really, really modern, crisp, like chrome and glass style. We just kept, she was a really lovely client and we just kind of kept like missing each other. Mm-hmm. Um she would kind of ask for something and I was not maybe really seeing the same vision. And then I would show her something and she was like, 
I don't think it's really hitting the mark. And in the end, I ended up referring her to another designer because I was like, you know, it's I I want, you know, every one of our clients to be to be happy with the end result. And I just don't think um, we're speaking the same language and there's no harm or foul in that. It's just um, and hopefully they she hit it off with that other designer who had a much more <laughs> modern style. But yeah, so I think it's just really pleasant when you find those people that are pursuing the same thing as you. Gosh, one of the clients we just signed, I'm like so excited to work with him because I was like, I can feel it in my bones that we can really help you. Everything you need, we know exactly how to do. And everything you're telling me perfectly aligns with what we, and I can just see down the road that they're going to be so happy with what they end up with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you meet people and you're like, I just don't think (laughs) where we add value is not where you see value. Mm -hmm. And so you should... Be free and go find that person because there's a lot of people that do things a lot of different ways. And I'm sure there's someone out there that can do it your the way that you need it done. Supporting the interior design trade is a core value for Curry & Company. To know this brand is to love them. It's a company that's easy to work with, constantly innovating in product design, there when you need them, and fun to do business with too. Curry's High Point showroom experience is legendary, and with market coming up in June, the team is prepping their hospitality and warm southern welcome to complement another jaw-dropping product presentation. You won't want to miss it. I I love that idea of defining where you bring value to the design process. Where is that for you? We um, we really, I guess, love um, to tell stories. Mm -hmm. I love narrative design. I love, um, we put a lot of energy just as much as we put a lot of energy into the, uh, front front end of like, Mm -hmm. you know, finance and contracts and all those things. Um, we put a big piece of our, and, uh, allocate a big amount of our design time to this conceptual development in the early phase of the project. Uh, so really helping, people define the environment they're looking to create because it's so hard to see that for yourself so it's not like a mood board or a sam you know a sampling I what does Kelly Wurstler call it a vibe tray or whatever <laughs> but I mean I love Kelly Wurstler so much he's so fantastic but it's it's more like a whole story mm-hmm. it can take a lot of different shapes it can be almost like a movie still in my mind where I'm like really trying to like parcel out what is this feeling that I'm trying to create. It could be an article of clothing that we're referencing and why is this article of clothing so definitive of who you are and what you're trying to be. It can be a lot of different things, but usually I kind of sit with it for a couple of weeks and something rises to the top and I spend a lot of energy like breaking it down and defining it and, you know, coming up with vocabulary, mutual like vocabulary with the homeowner. Um, and people either really love that or they feel like, uh, I don't understand what you're doing. And those, those people that are like, I say are, are, you know, you're letting that sit with you for a few weeks. Are the homeowners involved in that process? Or when do you bring them in and start sharing those ideas with them? On the front end, before we even start designing, mm-hmm. we do spend a lot of time with these homeowners. We we walk through their homes, we have lunches, we have meetings. So I'm hearing a lot of stories. And uh, I ask a lot of questions. I listen a lot. Um, I like to see, you know, whole families together, if I can spend time with, you know, the kids running around or whatever they have going on. 
so I'm really just like observing and absorbing and trying to like channel who they are and the energy of their life and all these things. And so usually by the time the concept round comes around is like, then I take all that sensory <laughs> information I've absorbed and gosh, does this sound hippy dippy or what? No, it's, it's, or you could call it your anthropological research, right? Yes. There you go. Oh my gosh. That's brilliant. <laughs> I've observed you in the wild and now. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I've never thought about that, but yeah, that is, I'm just absorbing and I, there, people are so beautiful and fascinating and there's so much, they're so complex and everybody is so different. I just love trying to like eke out what it is that makes that particular person or family or structure or whatever so unique and special and beautiful. Um, I really find a lot of pleasure in it. And so anyways, so then I kind of go back and just sort of like get quiet for a little while and really think (laughs) for a couple weeks. And then I kind of present them this idea. So they're not involved actively in that conceptual development phase. Um, you know, I usually like to get feedback on it after I present it. I actually am surprised now that I think about it. I don't know if I've ever really had a concept that I was like, wow, I was way off the mark with that. <laughs> but, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if I ask my clients, I don't know if they, anyone would say differently. I have had people say I didn't get it at first, but once we got about halfway through the process, it clicked for me. And I totally get that. Like I'm sitting with it for weeks and weeks before I present it. And it's really hard to just like get it in the, you know, on the spot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think most of our clients after going through the process, they're like, wow, we really used that. It's like a tool that we use Mm -hmm. too. What does it look like tangibly? Like what is that deliverable in your presentation? If it's not the mood board or the vibe tray or whatever it is, you know, how are you kind of pitching that story to the client. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a physical document that Mm -hmm. we produce that has um, imagery and words, Mm -hmm. different kinds of words. Sometimes it's definition. Sometimes it's just narrative story. Um, It can take a lot of different forms. I always write a concept statement. So I try to like boil it down to like a single paragraph and every project presentation starts off with that paragraph throughout the whole project. So we really like use that to set the tone and get everybody's head in the right space. Cause it's so easy to get into like a conversation about like plumbing fixtures and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, finishes and knobs or cross lever and all the things. Um, and so to just kind of say, okay, everyone, I know we're talking about <laughs> toilets today. Mm-hmm. But remember what we're trying to build. Like, mm-hmm. it's a whole world we're crafting. And so that's a really great, like, litmus test for us. And, and usually when I do that, I'm, like, looking at things and I get in the weeds and then I go back and I go, okay, but which of these feels like a white button-down shirt? Mm-hmm. Or which of these feels like, you know, a fresh air house or this Ikebana arrangement or whatever? And then I look at it again and go, oh, well, obviously that one. Like, these other ones are cool. But mm-hmm. this one is the one that is telling that story. And it's your thesis or your mission statement. Exactly. Yeah. And the homeowners get it too. So when they're like paralyzed with the millions of decisions they have to make, we can say, well, this is why this one makes more sense because it's following that storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they, you know, are like, oh, I want, you know, everything gold. We can say, well, that's great and cool, but you want to build this really like natural earthy space. And so... Maybe that doesn't make sense here. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's a physical document. It can be, you know, it's a number of pages and it's it's images and sketches and I don't know, whatever it takes to like convey this idea. And sometimes it's objects that we bring. And this is all before any of the kind of design work for that project starts. Yeah. This is just kind of the the world building kind of to give you the tools ahead of time. After that, you know, the decision, it just makes the decision making process so much smoother. And I find mm-hmm. that like, we really present very few options to our clients. Like we're not, you know, if I looked at projects that I did before doing this and projects after the quantity of options and selections has gone down exponentially. People are like, they see it, they get it, and they know why we're showing them what we're showing them. It doesn't feel like, well, why should I pick option A or option B? They're just two equally valuable (laughs) objects. When you put it in the context of which one gets you where you want to go, then they can see, you know, there's a different kind of value it adds. It makes one more valuable because it's supporting the Mm -hmm. story. How did you, I mean, you talked about, we were talking earlier about making that kind of slow incremental change into, you know, a new process. How did you inch into this storytelling process? Or was this just kind of an entire shift in saying this is how we're going to work moving forward? I think it's gotten, um, it's gotten bigger and it's gotten deeper in our process. Mm -hmm. Like at first it might've been a little more superficial, like this is your concept statement. This is your mood board, you know, it was a little bit more like that. And then we've just been like, it's been getting big, like the more we work it and use it, the more value it continues to have. And the more Mm -hmm. I see that this really fun thing that feels clients love it. It's so actually, I learned recently, I didn't know this, you know, I've been doing this for years and years. And I just learned that like, people are sharing these documents with like their neighbors and their friends and their relatives and like, other people I know were like, mm-hmm. oh, I saw your concept, you know, your concept for XYZ project. I'm like, how did you see that? Do you, and it like <laughs> traveled through, you know, somebody knew somebody who passed it on to somebody and, and they saw it. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy and cool. And mm-hmm. it made me so happy that these like ideas were like having little lives of their own that I didn't even know about. Um, Was it just that the homeowners were like, somebody saw this in me and that's meaningful to them? Maybe, you know, and maybe it's taking this kind of commodification, like this, this process can be a lot of just, it can feel like you're just Shopping, buying right? stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's saying like, we're not just buying stuff anymore. We're making something. And maybe designers know that, but we're not always communicating that to our clients. Totally. As, like we feel the magic in what we're doing. And so taking the time to make sure that they feel the magic too and and the joy and the intention, it's made us more collaborative. Like it made us feel more like teammates with our clients mm-hmm. too. I think they got what we were trying to accomplish. And so maybe that's why we didn't have to show so many options because it didn't feel like a push and pull. It felt mm-hmm. like we were both like moving, moving in along. the same direction. Yeah. 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 I say that was actually going to be the next thing I was going to ask you was how did your client's relationship with their project change as you moved further into this way of working? I I think it's just been more fun. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I hate to cut, keep coming back to that. You know, it's like intentionally- fun isn't a bad thing to come back to. By the way, <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like frivolous, like, oh, everything we do is fun. It's a lot of work. But when you can, yeah, yeah, when you can work at something that feels important and intentional, it feels good, then hard work feels like 
progress. It doesn't feel just like hard work for hard work's sake. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love um, that. The idea that hard work feels like progress is so powerful, I think. Yeah, it's, I mean, I find it's satisfying when you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I made this. And when the homeowner's like, yeah, I, I made this. Like we did it <laughs> together. That feels really good to me. Remember to add the Universal Furniture Showroom to your must-see list at Spring High Point Market to see its new collections, plus the Designer's Lounge presented by Rue Magazine. You can even showcase your design work to Rue's editorial director, Kelly Lamb, for a chance to be featured in an upcoming issue of the magazine. Reserve your spot at universalfurniture.com slash market events, and be sure to visit the showroom June 4th through 9th at 101 South Hamilton Street. I wanted to ask you about how you've grown your team as well, because I think a lot of the same principles you applied to growing your business are also kind of baked into how you hired. Um, Can you tell me how you've grown your firm up to this point, kind of where you started, how you started adding that one person a year and what you were looking for along the way? Yeah, I think... um boy, when you are just starting out, when it's just you and you add your first person, (laughs) that's a big uh, leap. It's a big, it's a big leap. And that person, um, I know who she is and I hope she hears this and knows (laughs) that I'm thinking of her. (laughs) She's so, you know, they have to be so brave and so willing to like jump into the deep end and take on so many things. Cause like you are going through this, me as a business owner, going Mm -hmm. through this transformation of taking everything out of my head and putting it down on paper or Mm -hmm. like putting it in someone else's head. Um, But gosh, is that so valuable? I wouldn't trade that experience as difficult as it was in the moment for anything in the world. It makes you really think about why do I do, why am I doing it this way? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just did it because that was like the shortest road for me at the moment. But like, was that really the smartest way? Is that really giving the client the best possible experience they can have? Like thinking of it through, is this making it you know, is this going to be a nightmare for my employees? I mean, you're suddenly you're thinking about all the other people outside of your, you know, <laughs> outside of yourself and how, mm-hmm. and that's so great because you can make it better for everyone. And who was the first person you hired or what was their job title? What was the scope of their work supposed to be? Gosh, I don't even know what her job title is. I'm really like <laughs> anti-titles. And okay. <laughs> we have titles now begrudgingly only because I need outsiders to know like, who, who does what? Or what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in my dream world, like none of us would have titles. But she was a graphic design student and she worked for me for, gosh, I don't even remember how long. It feels like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, in the best possible way, she did all kinds of things. Just about every anything that, you know, was asked of her running, running errands, doing presentations, drawings, illustrations. I wanted to ask you too, you made a pretty, I think, life-changing for you hire two years ago, right? You brought on someone on your team to focus on business development specifically. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Oh my gosh. Um, What made you, was that like a job that you posted online or was that a serendipitous meeting? How did you get to a place where you knew that that's what you needed? Yeah, that was a, it was a serendipitous meeting I don't, it, it, again, it just, it sort of developed. And then when it felt so right, it was like, why, like, like you have to do it. Like you just mm-hmm. you have to try it because, you know, to, to have the world like present you 
with this person, uh, or maybe she is chuckling, going, uh, the world didn't present me with this person. I <laughs> actively <laughs> made this happen. Um, no, we get along. Oh, it's so great. She's like a set, you know, second me. And she, um, she does a lot of other things, you know, she does business development, but she, like we all do, does a lot of things to help just like keep the studio, physical studio running. Mm-hmm. She onboards new clients. So she's doing a lot of those things, those first calls. Um, so she wears many hats as well. She's also a graphic designer by trade. I think mm-hmm. I must have a thing for graphic designers. <laughs> um, but um, which is kind of great in a way to have people in your um, we have a couple of folks who we have a project manager as well, who's not a designer by trade. And she it's great to kind of see what you do from an outsider's perspective. Again, mm-hmm. it's another opportunity for you to go like, why do we do that? Is that only because that's just what we were taught to do? Like, maybe that's not the smartest thing. Um, I love to look for inspiration in industries outside of interior design. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, she was so invaluable. It's taken about a year. I would say it took about a year to really, um, she was changing industries. So, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of education and she's so like wonderful about being like, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, make myself really uncomfortable every day and learn something new. Um, and I think that's what, when you're small and growing to maybe medium size, you have to look for those people that are like really comfortable being uncomfortable and see the value in that growth. I mean, you referred to her as sort of a second you, but I mean, in a lot of ways, that means you're giving away entire parts of your process to somebody else. What did it take for you to get comfortable kind of letting go? Oh boy, it's not easy. <laughs> I will say, to be honest, I think what it took, I had, I had my third child, um, mm-hmm in uh, 2020. And I think that helped a lot, like to really see like, again, you know, big things happen outside of my control often are the largest catalysts for like big changes in the business. Mm -hmm. Um, So being in a place where I like I physically had to step away for Mm -hmm. a period of time, um, and let go. It was good. It was good for me. I mean, it just like forced me to do it. You just have you don't have a choice, you have to do it. Um, I mean, she was so capable of it, but I don't know, maybe again, maybe it's like the motherliness in me, but I like want to like take care of all my employees and like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I like, I don't want to burden you too much. How's your workload? How's your belt? You know? Um, and so it's really hard for me to be like, okay, I'm going to just like, it feels like I'm dumping something on them. But like, Mm -hmm. I think it's actually the opposite. It's really empowering for them to feel like I own this and mm-hmm. I'm really good at what I do. Um, she's really all of my, actually I have a really fantastic team right now. Everyone I have on my staff is so good at what they do. It's really great to be able to let go. So I'm getting better at letting go. I think <laughs> more and more uh, it's getting easier as time goes on to let go of like design mm-hmm. decisions, you know, lead let lead designers. You have to surround yourself with people who are ready to take that on mm-hmm. um, and someone out of right out of school is not maybe always ready to take that on and that's through no fault of their own but they just need to go get those years of experience so you know all my designers now have eight ten years of design experience under their belt and to be honest I couldn't afford someone like that at the beginning mm-hmm. yeah so you know it's circumstance it's not like I wasn't making I wasn't hiring the people I was hiring because I was making, you know, quote unquote, poor choices. And they weren't, you know, not quote unquote performing, you know, it it wasn't, there was none of that. It was like, we were all growing up together. What changed for you when you got more comfortable giving away pieces of your responsibilities? 
Um, I'm still figuring that out every day, I think. Uh, <laughs> probably because we'll just, I don't see us ever. It's not in my nature to stop wanting to grow and change and, mm-hmm. and be better to do that. Uh, but I do think it's freed up time again, where, where those first hires were taking like production tasks off my plate in order so that mm-hmm. I could you know meet with clients, physically meet with clients and, and make design decisions. Now I'm maybe thinking a little bit broader about like, who are, who is, what is the studio trying to be as a whole? Like it really does become its own creature. I love that idea. <laughs> it's like, that it's not just you, it's the sum of the parts. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I'm beholden to it and it had, you know, and, and I want to like support, I'm really trying to figure out like Prospect Refuge Studio, like what does it want to be? Who does it want to be 10 years from now? You know, who's in our network, all these things. Mm-hmm. And so I can take time to think about that, like actively and consciously. It's not, again, it's not reactionary. I'm not just going, oh, like, I don't have time to think about it. So I just have to take <laughs> the client or I don't have time to you know, revise this process that's not ideal, like I do, and I take that time. Um, And getting our story out there too, like I want to meet more like-minded people, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of Minneapolis too. I'm like, not just clients, like makers. And, you know, I really love what you guys are doing. You know, I gosh about, we've chatted before, but (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, people in the media and, and just like people, I think there's like, and, and not just like-minded people. I mean, people who mm-hmm. challenge me too and say like, but have you ever thought of this impact mm-hmm. or like, you know, the only way to grow is to be challenged. And so having time to like, I, don't, I love thinking abstractly about mm-hmm. what we're doing. And so you got to have a little time in your schedule to like think about things that feel like nonsense at the time, but will end up being really valuable to you. You were talking a little bit about, you know, what is the firm in 10 years, but what does success look like for you? Um, ultimately, like when I'm when I'm when I'm dead. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just meant I like mean, what I guess when you think about like what your goals are and what it takes for you to feel successful. How do you define that? There's a lot of different kinds of success that we're like, okay, how can I be successful in this in this meeting on this call? How can I be mm-hmm. successful it, this week? How can I be successful <laughs> this year? This um, week is sometimes the hardest one, I think. <laughs> So much and yet so little at the same time. Yes. Um, but I think the whole, I, again, if I were to write a concept statement for this project called mm-hmm. Prospect Refuge Studio, it would be like the the catalyst was to do something that I could do for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And I do keep coming back to that. And it, that is maybe why we keep revising and, ch- and modifying and tweaking and changing because I'm like, okay, is this still something I could do for 40 years? Mm -hmm. Is this still something, you know, am I surrounded by the people I want to spend time with and the clients and the employees and the makers and the tradespeople that I want to spend time with for 40 years? Oh my gosh, you're building building a forever firm like that builds forever houses. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think Mm -hmm. that's, that is probably ultimately the success. (laughs) I say, this has been amazing. Thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've been loving the series and um, just keep it coming. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, hear more great podcasts, check out new products or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you. 
And you can email me at tradetales at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Trade Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, and Fred Nicolaus. This episode was edited by Fred Nicolaus, and our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again in two weeks.